Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers. This is episode two of season four. And today I'm sharing a conversation I had with Jocelyn Green. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Jocelyn Green inspires faith and courage as the award-winning and best-selling author of numerous fiction and nonfiction books, including The Mark of the King, Wedded to War, and The Five Love Language Languages Military Edition, which she co-authored with best-selling author Dr. Gary Chapman. Her books have garnered starred reviews from Booklist and Publishers Weekly and have been honored with the Christie Award, the Gold Medal from the Military Writers Society of America, and the Golden Scroll Award from the Advanced Writers and Speakers Association. She loves Mexican food, Broadway musicals, strawberry rhubarb pie, yum, the color red, and reading with a cup of tea. Jocelyn lives with her husband, Rob, and two children in Cedar Falls, Iowa. So friends, I talked to Jocelyn back in January. She was actually the first interview I had following my sister's death. And so I feel like she got um, kind of some big existential questions and maybe had to deal with my um, my raw grief a little more than than other guests on the show. So, but she did it beautifully. And um, I thought, I think that our conversation was wonderful. We talk about her new book, Drawn by the Current, which since I interviewed her in January, and I didn't know when I'd be releasing the interview, we talk about it as though it's going to be released soon when actually, it has already released now it released February 1st. So it's out there, go snap it up. I will put the link to it in the show notes, of course. So check that out. And um, enjoy this conversation with Jocelyn. Jocelyn, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Thank you for having me. What fun. Yeah. um, Your latest novel, Drawn by the Current, releases February 1st. Can you tell me about this book? Definitely. This is the third and final book in the Windy City Saga, which is a Mm. three-book trilogy set in Chicago, and it follows three generations of the same family. So the protagonist of Drawn by the Current is the grown-up daughter of the protagonist from the first book, Veiled in Smoke. And in 1915 Chicago, our protagonist, Olive, is a life insurance agent who wants to be an investigator. And the whole story kind of revolves around this little known piece of American history, Chicago history, called the Eastland Disaster. The Eastland was a steamship that had 2,500 people on board. It was tied up to the dock in the Chicago River on July 24th, 1915. And this ship just tipped over in the river. It just tipped over. Mm -hmm. And it was still tied to the dock and it caused the loss of 844 lives. Just an amazing tragedy that not very many people know about. So that's sort of the inciting incident. And Olive, of course, is on board. And so is her best friend. And the story kind of unfurls from there. She's involved in... um, processing life insurance claims, but there are also a lot of missing persons that they haven't found the bodies for yet. So how do you process the claims? And her best friend is mixed up in all of that. So um, that's that's the gist of the story. That's the piece of Chicago history that I wanted to explore in Drawn by the Current. 
I read this book and it was, um, it was amazing. I loved it. And I think I love the way you, um, described it because leaving out certain yeah. <laughs> things that could be spoilers. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I had never heard about the Eastland disaster either. Um, and also I, I hadn't read the rest of the series, but I really enjoyed this, um, you know, the third installment all on its own. Can yeah. you tell me what inspired you to write the series as a whole and then this book in particular? Yes. So I wanted to write a series set in the Midwest because I live in the Midwest. I live in Iowa. And just from a logistical standpoint, I like to travel to every location that I set my novels in. And so mm-hmm. far, they've been pretty far flung from where I live, New Orleans, Philadelphia, Montreal, Quebec City. Um, mm. And so I thought research-wise, it would be great to live you know, close enough to a place where I could drive there in a day. So Chicago has a whole lot of history. And I already knew about the Great Fire of 1871. I already knew about the World's Fair of 1893. And so then I was just looking online for, you know, major events in Chicago history because I wanted one more um, really big thing that happened in Chicago. And I stumbled upon the Eastland disaster. So all of these three events take place about 22 years apart from each other. So um, that's when we came up with the idea of having a family, like generations of a family, so that each one is involved in a different story. And I'm really glad to hear that you read Drawn by the Current as a standalone, because they are intended to work that way too, especially since they're not written, like you don't have to read them all back to back because decades pass between the stories. You know, if you don't care about the Great Fire, if you don't care about the World's Fair, go ahead and just dive in with Drawn by the Current. (laughs) They're written so that you, you won't miss anything. Like it should all make sense. That's the goal anyway. Right. Yeah, it definitely did. Um, not to say that I don't want to read the others, though, because I, <laughs> I actually, I've been um, meaning, I have them on my TBR list on Goodreads, because uh-huh. I've, I've had people mention your those books and you to me um, for a few years now. So I've been like, oh, I need to read these, but right. you know how, how it goes. I do. Um, I have the same <laughs> problem with my TBR. I know. Yeah. Um, so when you're writing a series like this one, do you know what each book is going to be about before you write the first one? Did you have Drawn by the Current in mind as you were writing Veiled in Smoke? Yes, um, okay. but to a limited extent. Right. When I was writing Veiled in Smoke, I had like a few paragraphs of you know ideas for what the World's Fair book was going to be about and a few paragraphs of ideas for you know how drawn by the current was going to go. So I right. certainly didn't have an outline, but I knew what the books were going to be about and who in the family was going to be the main character. And I think writing a series in this way was a lot easier than if they had been, you know, written to be read back to back to back because mm-hmm. so much time passes in between. I didn't I feel like I didn't have to know every detail when I started at the beginning of Veiled in Smoke. So it the stories did kind of evolve. And I know a lot of other authors do this too. But before I started writing book two, I went back and reread book one, just so that I could, you know, get back into the voice and what it just what had happened with these characters and imagine 
what may have happened between the end of the book and the start of the next book. And then, of course, when I went to start Drawn by the Current, I went back and reread books one and two and did the same kind of thing so that hopefully if you do read them in quick succession, they will feel like the books are all part of the same family. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it's in the author's note at the end of the novel. You mentioned that Drawn by the Current explores the theme of identity, mistaken, misplaced, or otherwise. Can you expand on that for me? What are you hoping to convey to readers regarding their identity? Sure. Well, I mean, in a very literal sense, there are cases of mistaken identities after the Eastland disaster, which was inspired by some, some real events that happened, bodies recovered and misidentified. And then what happens with the mess that comes from that? But in a metaphorical sense, which I hope will translate to readers, um, when we put all of our identity into any one thing that we do, that's a dangerous place to be. Um, Mm -hmm. Our protagonist put all of her identity in what she did as a job, but we can do that. Like we can do that with our work. We can do that with our role as a volunteer at a church or a nonprofit or our role as um, a family member, whether it's wife or mother or daughter or sister. Um, And when we, when we do that, we're putting all of our value and worth in this one basket. And then what happens when that basket gets tipped over or we, we lose that role? Um, it's just, it's not a healthy place to be. And, um, you know, these are, these are books written from the Christian worldview. So the message yes. that I do want to convey is that our identity needs to come outside of us, outside of who we are and what we do. And that identity for me as a believer is Christ, which is such a relief because that means that I am valuable and I am worthy, not because of anything that has to do with me, but because Christ is valuable and worthy and what he has already done for me on the cross. So uh, that is the safest place to place our identity. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I love the <laughs> kind of the, I don't know if you call it like a play on it because uh-huh. these people were not identified correctly or the identi- identity was unknown. And mm-hmm. and then to play with it metaphorically too is, that's cool. Yeah, I liked doing that. Yeah. You mentioned it's from a Christian perspective, which a lot of my authors are Christians and a lot of my listeners. Um, and your characters they turn to God for direction and help throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yet the Eastland disaster, it was like a seemingly senseless tragedy. Yeah. How, w- what are your thoughts on why God allows terrible things like that to happen? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the biggest, hugest question in the universe. Yes. Right? Why does God allow bad things to happen? I mean, people? I mean, you went there with your book. I mean, so. I guess I did. I guess I did. Oh, well, as a novelist, sometimes it's just fun to like get people thinking and then just back away and say, well, I don't have the answers, but this is for you to think about. Um, But no, in all seriousness, it is a valid question to be asking. And we live in a broken world. There is, Mm -hmm. there is sin. There are mistakes because we're people. We are fallible. We're not perfect. 
and and we have to live with the consequences of people's mistakes, whether they are nefarious or careless. In the case of the Eastland disaster, I mean, whose fault was it? They spent years and years trying to pin blame, and they never really came up with a satisfying answer. So why did God allow all of those people to die when they just they thought they were going to a picnic? And in some cases, entire families were wiped out. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't know. And so with things like this, I instead of looking at what happened, I just have to turn my eyes to to God and and he is okay with us saying I do not understand why that happened. I don't understand how that can be used for good or for your glory. But hopefully we'll come back around to do I trust God or not? And can yeah. I live with the fact that I'm run, I'm not going to get the answer to this in, on this side of heaven? I'm just not going to get it. Um, and just try to say, do I trust the character of God? Do I believe that there are things that I won't understand that make sense to God? And he his ways are higher than my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. And from a human perspective, we don't like it. We don't like that bad things happen right. to good people. So I don't know, we could talk about this for hours and hours, but um, that's that's kind of where I come from. Like we just, we live in a fallen world. It's full of people who make mistakes and and there are consequences to those mistakes. And and to turn to God, not to not as a good luck charm, so that we right. get out of trials and hardships, because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Um, but to turn to him to help us through it when we can't get around it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to bring this up because mm-hmm. I, um, I'm i going to do a, an episode about my sister's death in the beginning of this season. So, um, so my listeners will already know that I lost my sister. Okay. And that your book was the first one I read after that. Oh my goodness. Um, I mean, it was a couple weeks, but <laughs> well, sure. But it was um, honestly, I was kind of like, well, what what can I handle reading? Yeah. Um, and it wasn't like there's anything too heavy, honestly, <laughs> mm-hmm. because so I was fine with the death in the book because I'd just been through it in my own life and, um. But I did, I was struggling with like, okay, they're reaching out to God. And um, when my sister went into cardiac arrest and we were praying, I was like, the one the one prayer that I would have thought was the most important one, we got a no to. So how do I trust God for yes to some other prayers? Mm-hmm. Or am I even, you know, I'm, I'm more trusting not for a yes, but for a, that he knows best that, mm-hmm. and and I've come a long way in four weeks that I can see I'm not saying I'm done <laughs> sure, <laughs> grieving or anything like that, but mm-hmm. um, I have more of a sense of peace that God did know what he was doing. And, mm-hmm. and even though it seems completely senseless, senseless when you look right. at it from a human perspective. Um, but anyway, while I was reading the book, I, I found it, I just found it interesting because like these people keep turning to God yet he let all those people die. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm still turning to God 
Yeah. In the face of, you know, things that we don't understand that he allowed to happen. Mm-hmm. And and I believe that God gives us a day to be born and a day to die. So all of those 844 people that he loved them and he had planned the day of their birth and the day of their death mm-hmm. for whatever reason, I don't know, but mm-hmm. I believe someday we'll know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's really tough. And it's one thing for me to talk about this in the context of fictional characters. And um, I mean, the people, the people who died on the Eastland were real people and I have seen their photographs, but you know, I have distance from it, but for you to share your experience with your sister is so much more meaningful. And it is interesting that we turn to God even after, well, I mean, maybe not everybody, you know, there are probably some that, that, get a no when they wanted a yes desperately and turn their back and, and walk away. Um, for me personally, I, I have not yet experienced a death as close to me as you have, Allison. Um, I hope that when that happens, because it is a when, not an if, right. yeah. um, I hope that I will keep talking to God. Um, because mm-hmm. it's one thing to to plan it and say, yes, of course, you know, people die all the time. I'm not immune. It's going to right. happen. But when it happens, um, because I don't know where else I would turn. Um, yeah. And that's not to say that I haven't had moments of, or long moments of mm-hmm. saying like, I don't really want to talk to you right now. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's not like, Oh yeah, I just feel great about this the whole time. Sure. No, a- <laughs> oh no. <laughs> no, I've had very angry moment moments of with God. So, um, I did. I did want to bring up toward the end of the book. You said, um, "There's a quote that kind of jumped out at me. Surviving trauma wasn't the end of the story; it was only the beginning." Mm-hmm. So, what do you mean by that? And have you found that to be true in your own life? Okay, so what I mean by that is um, like getting past a trauma, whether it's um, an actual disaster or a terrorist attack that you survive, which was I was in DC during 9-11. So mm. that, that kind of is something that I think of getting yes. past it is not the end of the story, because you you then you keep living life and you yes. you learn how to um, take what you experienced and not let it um, define you and not let it hold you back. And, you know, I was, I was pretty close. I feel like to what happened in Washington, DC um, Mm -hmm. on 9-11-2001. And I, I remember mowing my lawn the night that it happened because I was trying to get away from the news. And there were, I, I lived in Northern Virginia, like, not far from the Pentagon, like a mile or so. And mm. there are ashes in the air outside mm-hmm. when I was mowing the lawn. And I was pushing my lawnmower through these ashes and trying not to think about what they were. And, you know, it was a traumatic experience for anyone who's lived through anything like that. And so, yes, like on the anniversary of 9-11, for the, up until the 10th anniversary, 
it was a terrible day to get through. And there were certain sounds that would trigger, um, I don't know if I would say panic, but it was definitely like hard to get past. So that's why I say surviving trauma isn't isn't the end, it's only the beginning. And so there are characters in the book who survive trauma, a couple different kinds, of course. It's the yes. um, the disaster and then um, a relationship trauma um, mm. that we don't, God said that we are to have life and have it abundantly. And to me, that's more than just surviving. Like you get through it, but then hopefully you learn how to put one foot in front of the other and keep going. And even if you feel like you just have to crawl and eventually um, be able to walk again with confidence and run Mm -hmm. with joy, um, rise up on wings of eagles, you know, all of that great inspirational (laughs) scripture. Um, Yes. So actually, maybe I maybe I answered both of your questions. What what did I mean, and have I experienced that? So yeah, yeah, that's that's what comes to mind for me. And it wasn't actually until the tenth anniversary of nine um, eleven I had moved away from DC, and then on the tenth mm-hmm. anniversary I came back, and I was able to go to a church service and just really um, commemorate what happened and. And that was the moment when I had um, closure that I hadn't had before. And and it took 10 years. So, I mean, it doesn't doesn't always happen right away. And, you know, grief and trauma are really interesting things. They don't affect us in a linear fashion. I mean, it it doesn't get easier um, at an even pace. And then it will yeah. like, circle back around and you'll feel like, wait a second, I thought I'd gotten past this point and now I'm back to where I was, you know, a few years ago or a few months ago. So it's kind of like circular, but it will just jerk you all over the place. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things about it. Yeah, definitely. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about um, your path to publication. Have you always sure. loved to write? I have always loved to write. Yes. Um, But when I was in college, I I was an English major, but I remember very specifically going into a bookstore one day and looking at all of the novels. And I thought, well, everything's already been written. I will never write (laughs) fiction because there's nothing new under the sun. So at that point, I decided that I would just write nonfiction and like um, freelance journalism or, Mm. you know, write articles, how to things like that, because all the stories had already been told. But Thankfully, yeah. that, that didn't last forever. <laughs> That's good. So how did you then start? Like, what did you do at first out of college? And um, how did you eventually end up writing novels after all? Sure. So um, very briefly, right after college, I moved to Washington, D.C., and I was an editor at a nonprofit on Capitol Hill. Uh, And then I married my husband, who was an officer in the Coast Guard, and we moved from Washington, D.C. to Alaska. So, you know, I was unemployed and decided that would be a great time to start freelancing. So at that Mm. point, I did do freelance journalism for a few years. Um, But after we'd been in Alaska for several months, I thought, you know, there should be a devotional book written for military wives. And I know today mm-hmm. there's a lot out there in this category, but back then there wasn't anything. And I thought, well, once my husband has been in for many years, 
then I'll have the credibility to be able to write something like this. Well, he decided to get out of active duty um, pretty quick after, I mean, like a year into our marriage, he had already been in for several years. So I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, this is my only book idea. So I better get busy (laughs) before he leaves the surface. (laughs) So what I ended up doing was contacting other military wives in all all branches of service, um, including active duty, National Guard, reserves, um, and possibly retired. And so my my first book was Faith Deployed, Daily Encouragement for Military Wives. It came out from Moody Publishers. And then there was Faith Deployed Again, which was, you know, another book of devotions. So mm-hmm. I started off writing nonfiction for military, about military, stuff like that. And then yeah. eventually um, my publisher, Moody, said, we would like to do more fiction, but we were thinking it would be good to have a military theme to some fiction books. Would you be interested in trying or have you ever thought about writing fiction? So um, at that point I had just been doing research for a different nonfiction book I was writing. And I had, I had just come from Gettysburg where I had been researching what the women of Gettysburg had lived through during, during and after the battle. So I pitched some ideas And that grew into a proposal for a four book civil war series and they accepted it. And that's how I got into it. And I never would have really gotten into it if I hadn't found real stories of real people that I felt Mm. hadn't quite been told before, or that maybe they'd been told before, like through an article here or a nonfiction book over here. But I felt like with historical fiction, you can go so much deeper. Like you can go beyond the facts and the figures and just the reporter style. And you can just, you can take readers into what it was like and you can really take readers and put them right in the middle of the scene and have them experience it for themselves. So when I started finding these things that, you know, civil war, there's like a million books about the civil war. So I don't know (laughs) why I thought I could bring anything new to the table. I was just, you know, young and naive, I guess. Um, But that was the start of it. And um, so drawn by the current, which is coming out in February will be my 10th novel, which is now, I guess now I'm uh, with Bethany house. Yes. Yeah. So how did you switch from Moody to Bethany House? Yeah. So right before the fourth book in my series, my Civil War series came out, I learned that Moody decided to no longer actively acquire fiction. Um, Mm. It's associated with Moody Bible Institute and they wanted to focus more on nonfiction. So that was just like a board of directors decision. And so I was just without without a publisher, feeling quite untethered. And Mm. is this the end, you know, all of that. So then I just went to um, a conference of ACFW, American Christian Fiction Writers, and signed up for all of the one-on-one appointments with editors that I could and pitched an idea for what became The Mark of the King. Um, And it was Bethany House that picked that book up. And Mm. that came out in 2017. And I've been with them ever since. So hopefully, you know, I've got another contract for three more books after this Chicago series is done. And, you know, publishing is such a weird industry. You never, you never really know about your job security, but I know that I'll at least be writing for three more years. (laughs) Oh, that's good. So can you tell us anything about those next three books? Sure. The next three books will still be historical fiction, but they'll be set in the 1920s in New York City. And they will, the protagonists will all 
have jobs at different museums on Central Park. And so the first book, the protagonist is a curator of Egyptian art at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. And she gets Mm. pulled into a police detective case because they're trying to track down this notorious forger. And the closer they get, the more danger they're in and all of this stuff. And there's mafia and um, there might be a murder. I still have to write it, really. It's due pretty soon. (laughs) (laughs) But that's, that's the general direction. So it'll be a little bit of um, a lighter subject matter, except if somebody dies. But um, I I think I'm going to enjoy the change of pace. And as I have loved getting to know Chicago for three books, and now I will love getting to know New York City in the 1920s, which is a little bit different from New York City today, but still fun. (laughs) Yeah, right. A hundred years ago, New York City. Yeah, my gosh. Right. (laughs) I love New York City and I'm not too far from it. So oh, good. I love that idea. So great. Yeah. So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Mm, That's a great question. Well, I think that um, I'm sure you are quite familiar with the saying that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it, which is basically the idea that we can learn a lot by studying history. We can see patterns. We can see what what people did and what the consequences were. Um, so we can kind of identify maybe red flags or just like, well, this, or maybe not even a red flag, but just say, you know what? We're not the first generation who has experienced something like this. You know, other mm-hmm. people have gone through this as well. They came out the other side. You know, it's, we aren't the first we aren't the first. Um, I also think it's very inspiring to look at what people have gone through and what decisions they've made and what sacrifices they've made. But I also think, and this is true of reading fiction in general, not not even just historical fiction, but anytime you read a book, like a novel, it's it, they've done these studies of the brain and it's like you're there in a way Mm -hmm. that you're not there when you watch a movie because you just go so much deeper when you're reading and it really works your empathy muscles. And when you're reading a book and you're able to see not just what people do, but why people do the things they do. Um, So you're able to see motivations for what looks like um, bad behavior or, or um, just irrational behavior or I don't know, just stuff that might not make sense on the surface. And so Mm -hmm. I think that when I read, it helps me have more um, compassion or at least less um, snap judgments about people because I can just take a step back and say, okay, they're behaving in a really hurtful way, but we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Like maybe they just Uh, Maybe they're going through a divorce. Maybe they're going through a bankruptcy. Um, Maybe they just lost someone really close to them. So, I mean, that's, I don't know if that answers, it's not specific to historical fiction, but um, I just think it helps me have a richer life, um, not just because of learning about all these things that happened in the past, which sheds light and perspective on my present, but just being able to get to know human nature and like interacting with the people in my own life. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, so Jocelyn, what is the best way for listeners to follow you? Well, they could start at jocelyngreen.com. Um, if they want, there's a contact tab there that has all of the my social media handles. I am mm-hmm. most frequently on Facebook and Instagram. So you can find all of those little links on jocelyngreen.com. Okay, great. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to the conversation with Jocelyn Green. I hope that you will visit my website for the show notes. Um, You can sometimes find them right in the app if you listen on Apple Podcasts. The show notes with the links should be right in the app, but you can also get to them online at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. And in the show notes, you'll find links to Jocelyn's books, to her website, and you'll also find links to information about me and also a link to my Patreon page where you can support me and the work that I do, especially the show. I have a lot of great perks on there. So thank you so much for considering that. Also, a way that you can support the show without paying a dime is just by leaving a star rating and review. Whatever podcatcher you use to listen to these podcasts, please just go to the show and click on the five star rating and then tell, just type a short review what you like about the show. Here's a recent review. It says, I'm a new listener, but a longtime lover of historical fiction. My TBR list is so long after listening to a few episodes. Allison is a great host, and it's fun to hear from the authors. Thank you so much for leaving that review. And um, if you leave a review, it doesn't have to be that long. It can just be a sentence or two. So I appreciate all the reviews and all the love I get from you guys, because it's nice to know that somebody is listening. Now, I know you're all just waiting with bated breath to hear what quote I'm going to leave you with this time. This one is about fiction instead of history, but it's historical fiction. So, and Jocelyn's thoughts on fiction were so interesting. So, I'm following it up with a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, Fiction reveals truths that reality obscures. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends, and I will talk to you again next week.